Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students. Today we are very lucky to have a Drew Bowman on our show, and the hosts is myself, Gregory Robinson, and... Hi there, Roger Hudson. Drew, you're here to talk about your research, and you're in the Department of Geography. Yep, yep, health geography. Health geography. Okay, so that's something I haven't heard before, health geography. What exactly is health geography? So it basically means where you live influences your health. So what you, what kind of opportunities and what kind of availability of food-related um, food related opportunities that you have around you, that influences your health. So if you have a lot of, um, if you don't have grocery stores around you or if you don't have, if you have a lot of fast food, um, that's going to influence you differently than if you do have access to um, a nice grocery store that has affordable, fresh produce, let's say. Access to clean water, all of these <laughs> things, I guess, would be huge influencers of health uh, across the globe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm more of um, a human geographer, which looks at the built environment. So, you know, what humans have kind of built, um, other than actually looking at the physical environment, so the water and stuff. But yes, it Fair enough. It so does. more first world or westernized yes, kind of countries. And exactly, westernized okay. stuff. And my lab, the heal, I work at the Human Environments Analysis Lab. Um, and it's a big geography lab here at Western that looks at um, working with community partners to do research uh, to help improve the health of youth and children anywhere, elementary school all the way up to high school. So we do you know, research on physical activity, nutrition, which is what, more what I'm doing, the food environment stuff. We're just, we do a lot of different stuff. We look at ActiPass. ActiPass? Active, yeah, yeah. So like getting grade fives active by allowing them the opportunities to go out into the community oh, and okay. be active. Yeah. So we do a whole bunch of different stuff. So you're supporting the well-being and fitness of children, essentially. Yeah, basically. So what exactly about the environment do you study? So I look at what we call the food environment, which is all of the um, opportunities and surroundings within London that influenced your uh, dietary choices. So like how close to certain foods, what are their options essentially? Yep, so yeah. I'm specifically looking at teens, so high school age students. Okay. We've found from the research that when teens reach 14 years of age, their diet quality tends to plummet. And that can be because of many factors such as, you know, their independence, they're gaining independence. Uh, some of them have a disposable income for the first time with a part-time job. They're walking past to and from school on a daily basis. They have more freedom to do what they want and eat what they want. So that's kind of why I'm looking at teens. So I'm looking at the food environments around high schools. So what kind of food vendors are there? Are there grocery stores? Are there a lot of fast food places? Are there restaurants? That sort of thing. I'm looking at what's there and what they have to offer and how that um, affects teens. Very interesting. So specifically within the context of, I guess, high school aged uh, kids in, yep. in the London area and how they're influenced by, um, I guess, different food choices in their environment within the, in and around the schools. Or are you looking in particular all around uh, London or yep. what's the area that you're looking at? So um, food environment research in the past generally looks at there's multiple levels of the food environment. So there's the type of food vendor, the proximity to schools or to homes, whatever you're looking at, those sort of factors. There's consumer factors, so the pricing of foods, the availability of certain foods, what's there. And then there's also the organizational food environment, so looking at institutions like schools, which is what I'm looking at, or homes or work, that sort of thing. And lastly, what ties it all together is the food 
um, advertising environment, which that's not studied, basically. Like, very limited studies have been done on the food environment or the information part of that. They call it the information environment. Um, is the advertising and marketing of food and beverages. And that, that um, should be a pretty, it should be studied. Because mm-hmm. um, it's when when you're a teenager, this is when you form a lot of your habits, right? Right. And so if big companies like McDonald's goes after children, they could essentially really affect somebody's entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I don't have a mark, I'm not a marketing expert. I'm yeah. kind of bringing that a little bit into my research. Um, and I, there sh- has been a lot of marketing stuff, huh. research that's been done but not really from a geography or health geography kind of perspective or a food environment perspective. Food environment research often looks at, you know, those density and proximity factors and the menus and the nutritional value of foods. So I'm kind of taking the direction of I'm collecting all of these things. Um, In schools, I am doing the school cafeterias of six, like, socially and spatially diverse schools. So I have some urban schools. I have some rural schools. I have a suburban school. So I have different geographically diverse schools that I'm looking at. But yeah, look, basically looking from the organizational environment or that, that school cafeteria environment outward around schools. So, so you are collecting all of the nutritional values within the foods and I guess like the price points as you were mm-hmm. seeing. Because all, yeah. Yeah, all of these um, uh, points or different uh, variables definitely influence somebody's choices. But you're saying that you're looking at it from a different perspective, more the advertising perspective? Yeah. So I, when I collected the data, it was trying to be more comprehensive because, again, a lot of the research only collects certain parts of the food environment. I wanted to collect that school environment or organizational environment perspective, but I also wanted to collect the menu, any daily features or daily specials they have, any loyalty programs or rewards programs that might draw teens in. So I I basically tried to be comprehensive when I was collecting the data, but when I'm going to be doing my analysis, I'm going to mainly focus on the advertising aspect of it. And I did also collect all of the billboards and transit shelters in London. I'm looking at just the food and beverage related ones, but I'm going to see, you know, where they're placed and if that, you know, coincides with, you know, socioeconomic status or if there's, you know, maybe a higher level of processing of ads, like maybe there's more ultra processed foods that are being advertised in low income neighborhoods or we don't really know. But that's what we'll be kind of looking at to see. Are you then trends. comparing this to, say, the general well-being of students or? I'm more looking at what's there, what draws teens into these places and how that influences like where they would go. I'm not linking it to purchasing or okay. linking it to um, overweight and obesity. Understanding the environment will help create interventions yeah. and that sort of thing. We are doing in our lab, it's called Smart Appetite. It's a smartphone intervention that sends tips and notifications to teens uh, about healthy living and healthy eating. We're in schools right now doing that. And the schools that I'm doing my research on are those schools that were in for that purpose. So we know that in order to really create an effective behavioral intervention for teens, because they're a very difficult um, demographic, uh, we need to understand the context and the environment around them, right? So by me going out and doing all of this food environment research around those schools, not only will it kind of provide policy implications, but it'll also inform our smart appetite study by saying, you know, this is what's around these schools and these are the types of messages that we need to send to teens. Definitely, yeah. And I think 
um, although Greg, I think that's a great point. If I understand it correctly, trying to um, correlate, I guess, on an individual by individual basis, if their food choices were to um, uh, necessarily correlate with their health status in that sense. But I almost feel like, first of all, with self-report data in that it's sense, hard, yeah. it would be difficult to collect that. And I almost feel like, mm-hmm. from the perspective, or I guess the scope of the of what your study is taking, it, it may even be more powerful because seeing from, I guess, uh, more of a, a systemic or a large scale mm-hmm. kind of basis, right? Where I I think if there are some kinds of uh, heavier uh, uh, processing of the foods or heavier advertising around, say, socioeconomic status uh, areas that are lower, then that may be a direct correlate as to why there might be, you know, uh, higher levels of obesity or or lower levels on the health status. Is that is that kind of yeah. potentially a, yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so part of what I'm doing is eventually I'm going to be kind of adding a healthfulness kind of spin to it. Uh, We're moving away from classifying foods as healthy or unhealthy um, or dichotomizing foods, I guess, in that way. Because again, even McDonald's has some healthier options um, than other stores. There's always going to be a range of what you can get at every store. So I, based on the new food guide that kind of stresses, you know, avoiding ultra-processed foods, we're going to come up with some sort of coding tool to maybe um, use to classify each of the advertisements, uh, the food in the advertisements based on the level of processing, um, just to kind of add that extra layer to the data. And I guess what would your uh, main predictions be without getting into any, uh, you know, potentially preliminary results, unless you'd like to get into mm-hmm. anything. But I guess in terms of I guess just within the London region, would you predict that there's a higher rate of uh, processed food advertising, for instance, or uh, w- would this in any way correlate with with people's food choices, or what would be the biggest way in which it would um, impact somebody's food choice? I think that there will be, the vast majority of them will be food chains and like McDonald's and Tim Hortons, Domino's. I think those okay. will all be big ones, just for generally what I've been seeing. Um, and all of those like 99% of them are basically um, promoting ultra-processed foods. Uh, I'm predicting that maybe there'll be more advertisements, like the density of billboards uh, that are food-related and food advertisements will be closer to schools. Interesting. Um, But I guess we'll see based on uh, the mapping, if that's true. What would be the rationale around that? I mean, Greg mentioned that if you can get children or young people hooked up, you have them eating your food for the rest of your life mm-hmm. is is that maybe something that their uh, direction that they're trying to head or are there other intentions behind their advertising do you think yeah we we do know that fast food vendors do concentrate around schools okay. there hasn't been as much research around high schools per se as opposed to everyone's focused on children in elementary schools or younger okay. for younger age groups but yes i think that's definitely a trend that's happening <laughs> And you say that chains are the biggest culprits of this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's because they have more money to put into advertising, or do you think that there's certain uh, variables that make them more likely to be uh, influential to kids potentially because of um, attractive kinds of figureheads or you know, Ronald McDonald or whatever like yeah. that? I think money does have a lot to do with it. But again, I'm not really a marketing. Um, I'm sure they have it all mapped out psychology-wise of how they how they capture teens. But I'm like, we have a youth advisory council in our lab that helps inform our research. So we're not doing research on youth, we're doing research with youth. 
So I've actually brought to them a sample of the food advertisements that I've collected and, you know, sat, put them up on the board and said, what is it about these that kind of draw you in? Hmm. Um, because I want to, a lot of um, past research basically just looks at the nutritional value of food vendors in, in general. And a lot of it, too, it's just some random number that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any meaning. Um, but I want to kind of create a tool that looks at the power of ads from a teen perspective or the appeal of ads so I can quantify, okay, this ad is getting this number and that means that it is more powerful. Like if it is a higher number, it's going to sh- be more powerful. Interesting. Um, and so, so somebody could potentially use this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's 14 youth on this youth advisory council, again, from all different schools across London. And um, I brought them research on what uh, what past researchers have generally looked at. And again, a lot of it is focusing on child-directed. So whether they have toys in the ads or whether there's like Ronald McDonald or these characters in the ads, I brought them all of these kind of coding criteria that researchers used when they were out collecting data. Um, there are a few that kind of look at youth, but they group children and teens together, and children are, direct, are influenced differently by advertisements than teens. There's been research that sh- has shown that. So I brought that to them, and I said, what out of all these, which ones are actually influential to you guys? What matters to teens? And they did a couple little mini surveys for me, and we narrowed it down to 10 features of advertisements that generally are attractive to teens and what kind of makes that decision whether they maybe want to go there or not. So if I wanted to make an ad for some children, <laughs> let's say I owned a fast food joint, like I'm selling hot dogs, and I wanted to get as many children in as possible, and I'm making this advertisement, what exactly should I be putting on these advertisements? If, is that okay to ask? Um, I don't know if I can say yeah. that. <laughs> I can say that they came up with just general features. They want to be able to see certain things on ads, and if they don't see them, it's not going to be as impactful. Okay. So um, uh, okay. I want to eventually get um, a waiting score on this coding criteria. This is kind of confusing. But I want to come up with a score. So is the price there, yes or no? If it's there and they think the price is way more important than another ad feature, they're going to be helping us develop weights to be able to be like, okay, the pricing, whatever value that is, is going to be multiplied by this much because it has that much more power. So, for um, instance, if, if an ad doesn't have certain features, then... It would get a zero, and you wouldn't really... Yep, you wouldn't really have a higher score because of that. Yeah. Yep, but the subjects, they just pass on it because like, they're not informed enough or it, it's not meeting their needs as a consumer, I guess, to, to get them to go in and make that purchase. Right, exactly. Very interesting. So, so Greg, I actually think that's a great idea. First of all, a hot dog <laughs> fast food. I think that's a really under-served um, portion of the fast <laughs> yeah, food definitely. environment. It's a niche, uh, regardless of We need of to hear a Western... I think you got it. Good, man. Uh, So, Drew, what are some of the answers to to this crisis? If you're you're saying that there's much more advertising uh, for bad food, these processed types of food, especially around the the people that probably shouldn't be as exposed to this for every reason that we've uh, been over already, what are some of the answers in in solving this crisis, if you want to call it that? Mm -hmm. So, um, the obvious answer is... It's not really the easiest answer, but, you know, more zoning policies and restricting the marketing or advertising of unhealthy foods surrounding certain youth-centered institutions, I guess you could say. So including schools or restricting, you know, 
what they can sell based on, you know, sugar, fat, sodium levels. Maybe vendors have to follow certain guidelines that way. Um, But that's very complicated, and I don't know. Um, A lot of research has been stressing that we need to do that, but I guess that's not the most feasible way. There's a lot of Health Canada stuff coming out right now on restricting the marketing of food and beverages to young people. There's a bill, a Child Protection Act, that's kind of in limbo right now. It hasn't really been passed, but it's trying to get passed to also restrict the marketing and promotion of unhealthy foods to children. But both Health Canada and this bill are basically restricting this to children under 13, which leaves the teenage population completely vulnerable. So um, what they're considering doing is, you know, in five years, they're going to they're going to evaluate the concern is that if they restrict marketing to children under 13, that this leaves teenagers fair game for advertisers. So the expected outcome is that we'll have increased advertising to teens. Yeah. So now with my research, knowing now what is technically teen directed, um, when they come back to this in how many years time or over the years, they might consider, you know, putting these coding criteria into policy by saying, you know what, we do need to restrict to teens as well. And teens are influenced by by advertising, so they need to be protected as well from that sort of thing. So, so this yeah. makes your research even more important because as of right now, there isn't any restrictions to teenagers that are 13 mm-hmm. or older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Quebec there is, but that's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, not, not, there's not really even a federal policy or anything like that. So, and, and like you're saying, there's all these protections or acts coming in for children, but there's nothing even planned for these uh, mm-hmm. teenagers or anybody over mm-hmm. the age of 13. There's a lot of liability issues and stuff with restricting it from 13 to 17. So they've kind of seem to be just playing it safe with under 13. And if you can create some sort of a uh, way to code how uh, effective an ad is, potentially mm-hmm. the government could use this. Yeah. yeah. And they could use it to promote better lifestyle choices, right? Mm-hmm. And we could use yeah. advertising in a more, like we could use it to sp- advertise healthier foods. If yeah. we know that something's attractive, we could do use the same advertising techniques, but, you know, spin it in a way that it's promoting something that's healthier. Yeah. The way I kind of see it is that, like, there's fast food people trying to brainwash children. And we're the government. We're trying to brainwash them back into eating good, good food. So it's kind of for a good thing, but still we're brainwashing them. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Smart Appetite uh, project that we're also working on—that's a smartphone application um, that they they can download on their tablets or their phones, and uh, they can set how many messages they want to receive a day, when they want to receive them, and it just tips when they get within certain distances of food vendors. These high school students, they get they get notifications being like, you know you are near this food vendor, try this healthy option. Oh, no. Um, Or uh, if they're in a food swamp, which is, you know, areas that have a lot of, like, a high density of fast food or unhealthy food options, if they get within a certain distance of those, we also have a buffer set up. So if they walk within a certain distance, they'll get a message. It's a generic message. Yes, so it's a smartphone app, yeah. But they get a generic message just being like, you know, if you're eating out, try grilled chicken instead of crispy chicken. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, get a small fry instead of a large. We know teens are going to go out. We know they're going to eat fast food. It's convenient. It's it's, it's just Tasty. basically awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just trying to nudge them to make slightly healthier choices. So this research that I'm doing, too, will also inform that by giving them better tailored messages that they can, they now that they know what's around schools, they can... Yeah make those sorts of messages. So how far, how far along is this app? Is it actually currently out there? Are you guys still working on it? Is it in beta? 
um, it's it's out there. Yes, yeah. we're yep. Our pilot year was last year, so this is our second year of actually out rolling it out oh, in wow. schools. And so this is in London, though. Yep. Yeah. It's Smart Appetite is in school six schools. Well, it's been in six so far around oh, London. Yeah. yeah. Do I we're have to four. be in high school to use it? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> but yeah, you're. It's uh, we're in four schools right now. Okay. So to be clear, this is Smart Appetite. Smart Appetite. Yes. So everybody, get out your phone. And start downloading it. Smart <laughs> appetite, not just for high school students. Yeah. 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 So um, you mentioned a little bit a little bit back that um, the types, or, or I guess the informative nature of an advertisement, can persuade somebody's choices. And, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this has been put across all of Canada yet, or if it's just in Ontario. But I know here in Ontario we have the um, uh, calories listed across any menu item that I think uh, over a certain, like for definitely mm-hmm. any chain restaurant. Chain, yep. uh, do you think that this has been helpful in persuading some individuals and in choosing healthier options? Or are there certain ways that we can, um, it, rather than restrict the advertising, add to it in order to make it work for us or for the children rather than against them? I'm curious if hmm. that's potentially an option. Hmm. You mean like using advertising as a health promoting tool kind of like of the calorie count on, on the menu right because i for for the most part people are going to choose the lower calorie option in order to be more healthy unless they're on their cheat day hmm. right hey, yeah some some teens are they do look at calories but again calories isn't everything sure um, it's an interesting yeah. Point. i yeah. i yeah I, we I, actually don't talk about calories that much yeah. just because it's a you know, a sensitive kind of discussion. I guess but just the point that some of those um, nutritional values can become a part of the app. And I guess you are taking those into yeah. account with your mm-hmm. with your research. So yeah. to be determined for yeah. now, I suppose. A lot of teens, though, they they when they're out and about, they just they're already going out to eat. They don't really care. Like based on the Youth Advisory Council, health appeal or that sort of thing, which is another thing that researchers code, they didn't think that that really was relevant to them. Interesting. Um, so how do you how do you classify the degrees of how much a uh, food's been processed? Just out of curiosity. So that'll depend on the tool that we're going to be using. We have a tool that we have in mind, um, but it basically classifies whether it's minimally or no, like not processed at all. Okay. Um, to processed ingredients, culinary ingredients like added sugars, salt, to processed foods to ultra-processed foods, and they have um, them kind of classified in examples of each one and how they how they classify them. So if, if Health Canada is saying, like, hey, don't focus so much on the calories, more focus on uh, less processed foods, maybe it's almost a good idea to say on our foods, like, how processed this is. Mm-hmm. So if you go get, like, a can of something, mm-hmm. it will say, like, hey, this is not processed at all, this is extremely processed. Right. That yeah. might be a good idea, then, for yeah. Health Canada. That may even um, encourage the retailers, like the unhealthy fast food chains, to promote healthier food choices because they yeah. don't want to put on the advertisement heavily processed, for instance. Yeah, right. If they were forced to, in the same way that they were for the calories, for instance. Mm-hmm. If they were like required to do that, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of packaged foods have a lot of deceiving messages on Statements. them. Sure. Yeah, Part that of a, a lot of teens. Breakfast. 
Yeah. Sounds like know. you got to go issue. into politics next and start making some of these changes. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe one day. <laughs> so what what are the next steps? Because you're just coming to the end of your master's, I understand. Yeah. That, right, Drew? No, don't say that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it gets my heart pumping when I think of the timeline, too. But it, do you have plans for, for the next or what, what are some potential avenues that you can go with with the degree uh, that, that you're currently in? Greg mm-hmm. mentioned politics. I'm sure that's. Yeah, yeah. Potential. Um, I'm still working on that. I don't really, when people ask me that, I get stressed out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> That's every grad student. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. I want to work with communities. Like, I want to work with people. I want to do, I would love to continue doing research. I'm not really interested in doing a PhD at this time, but I do love trying to better the community. So um, anything with, like, health promotion or working at the health unit or that sort of thing, um, I'm open to that sort of thing. But I haven't really looked yet because awesome. I have other pressing things. Keeping yeah. the options open is never a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of different options with health geography. It's a very interdisciplinary Definitely. Uh, yeah, field. Yeah. It sounds like it with how you're describing it for sure. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Drew, or find out more information about uh, different uh, you know, results of your research or your mm-hmm. lab's research, the direction that you guys are taking or, or y- your lab's taking in the future. Is there any way that they can get in contact with you? Is there some kind of social media or email address that, that you're willing to, to give Yeah, out? I can I can give that out. Um, the lab that I work in is called The Heal, so theheal.ca. You can go to that website if you want to see more about what we do. So theheal.ca, T-H-E-H-E-A-L.ca. And uh, my email is dbowman7 at ewo.ca. So D-B-O-W-M-A-N-7 at ewo.ca if anyone wants to email me. Fantastic. It's Drew Bowman again. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show, Drew. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Cool. Thank you for having me. This has been a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. You've been listening to GradCast. You can catch us every Tuesday at 6 p.m. at 94.9 CHRW. If you'd like to get in uh, contact with us at all or be on the show, uh, you can contact us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And you can listen to our episodes off the air anytime as well at gradcastradio.ca. Thank you very much. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. See you next time. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.